0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the
0: New Books Network.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Books and Film, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Dan Moran. I co-host another podcast, 15-Minute Film Fanatics, but I'm thrilled to be here today for more than 15 minutes with John Krampner author of Ernest Lehman, The Sweet Smell of Success, just published this month in 2022 by Kentucky University Press. Welcome, John.
0: Uh, thank you very much, Dan. It's good to be here.
1: Thanks for coming on the show. Before we get to your book, which which I read in a weekend, which I thought was spectacular, which I am now bugging all of my friends to read. Before we get to your terrific book and, and the life and career of Ernest Lehman, could you tell our readers a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure. Uh, well, I'm from uh, Brooklyn originally, and when I was going to uh, elementary school, uh, they had a series of books called the Orange Books, which were um, short biographies of uh, leading American figures. Uh, I really just you know ate up as many of those as I could, and then I just sort of you know forgot about it. Uh, I um, went to. Uh, journalism school in the mid-70s at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, When I um, graduated, I uh, spent the Carter administration getting fired from small-town newspapers across the West, and it was a miserable experience. But the one thing that I learned from that is that the articles that I most enjoyed doing were personal profiles, and I knew I wanted to be an author, And I just said inductively, what's the book-length equivalent of a personal profile? Uh, It's a biography. So um, I uh, came to uh, Los Angeles, or came back to Los Angeles, really, in uh, about 1980. I went to college here in the early 70s. And I um, wound up uh, teaching English as a second language in adult school for 27 years, And I used that as the uh, basis for writing my, I like to think, reasonably good but non-best-selling books. Um, uh, A biography of uh, uh, live television producer Fred Coe, stage actress Kim Stanley, A History of Peanut Butter, and now Ernest Lehman.
1: That's great. So it's it's so funny how you came to these different projects. And let's talk about how you came to this one. So at the end of your book, you're you're describing Lehman's funeral, and you quote the writer Mel Schalvison saying, "Quote the problem with the sweet smell of success is that it doesn't last beyond our lifetime." But you know the films that Ernest Lehman wrote; they certainly do last beyond his lifetime, and certainly are great artistic successes. So, in your preface, you tell this story about how you came to Lehman as the subject of your new book. So, can you ter- can you share that story with the readers?
0: Oh, absolutely. The um, basically um, in uh, December of two thousand, the New York Times Arts and Leisure section. Uh, did an article on a very long, meaty feature article on the artistry of the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which has nothing to do with Lehman. But um, I read it, and it irritated me because it didn't mention the screenwriter. I said, how can you do this long article about the artistry of a film and not even mention the screenwriter? And I'm not a screenwriter. I'm just a writer-writer. So I uh, wrote a short, crabby letter to the editor of the Arts and Leisure section. They ran it, and a little while later, I um, I got a letter from William. It says, "Thank you so much for doing that. I'm so proud of you. This is a the fight I've been fighting for my whole career." And so I, I wandered into the um, the hallway of my apartment, and I looked at my uh, poster for the 1966 re-release. Of North by Northwest, I said, "Yep, same guy." So I I went back to my desk. I looked at his letter. He included his phone number, so I called him. I said, "Thank you so much for your letter, and by the way, would you autograph my poster?" So he said, "Yeah." So I went out to his house on the, in Brentwood on the west side of Los Angeles. Uh, we we talked a little. I, the main thing I remember about his house. He has this huge uh, antenna on his lawn because uh, he was a, a ham radio buff. So we we talked a little. Uh, he signed my my poster. Uh, I used the bathroom and I left. Well, anyway, just a, a few years ago, when I was trying to uh, decide the subject for my next book, and I thought, well, okay, this time I'll do a um, I'll do a literary biography, and since I'm. I live one zip code away from Hollywood, so that I'll do a screenwriter. So I was going to do a man named uh, Jules Firthman, uh, who did, um, he wrote the screenplays for several, uh, you know, Bogart films. Um, I thought, uh, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I go to the, um, the, uh, the library of the Motion Picture Academy, and I request the Jules Firthman biography file. And when it comes, I look at it and I say, hmm, it looks very small and it doesn't weigh very much. And so I I take the file and I go to one of the tables and I open it. It consists of two one-inch obituaries for Firthman. And of course, at this point, there's no one around who knew him. I said, this isn't going to work. But while I was looking into Firthman, I ordered a book on the... Uh, It was a a series of um, capsule biography of screenwriters. It falls open to Ernest Lehman. I say, I know that guy. And I was off to the races.
1: Wow. That's such a great story that he actually said, come on over and autograph the poster. That's so terrific. He
0: he didn't volunteer. I said, hey, I want to come over and do this. (laughs) He said, yeah, all right. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, something I appreciated about your book is that by page, you know, by page 21, he's already written the novella of Sweet Smell of Success. By page 46, I wrote these down, he's made Sabrina with Billy Wilder. By page 52, he's made The King and I with Walter Lang. By page 74, Clifford Odets has adapted Lehman's novel – into the film, Sweet Smell of Success, that we all know and love. And by page 80, he's already working in North by Northwest with Hitchcock. Now, you've read a lot of biographies in your life. So have I. This was striking to me because it was different than the usual, you know, you get two generations first of the subject's background, and then then the person's born about 50 pages in. So my question I just have to ask you stylistically is, was this a conscious decision of yours, like to, to elide or compress all the usual kind of biographical matter we find when we when we pick up biographies?
0: Well, it's um, it's kind of yes and no because to me it's not really a conscious thing, but at the same time, you know that people, if they buy the book, it's not because they're interested in Lehman's grandfather. Right. Although his grandfather was a very interesting person, actually,
1: they were pretty interesting. Yes, <laughs> the um,
0: but uh, and actually, I I wound up uh. Don't recall if you. Uh, I don't know if you recall this or not, but I actually wind up mentioning Lehman in the first paragraph of the book. You know, I. I, I just. Um, I I really want to kind of t- to get on with things. Now, having said that, it is important you know to do the genealogical work up to talk about their uh, their childhood, their adolescence, their formative influences, but but again, like I said. That's not why people buy the book. You want to get the information in there, but you really want to um, to compress it as much as possible. Now, I don't know if this is true of biographies in general, but with mine, um, the first chapter, it's always the shortest chapter, but it takes the most time to research because, again, you have to do the genealogical work up. You have to spend all this time... Haunting the dusty basements of libraries, you know, uh, going through these, um, uh, you know, city directories of, you know, where Lehman lived when he was eight years old and things like that. But yeah, as you said, you you really want to compress it down, let people know what, what the background is and then get on with things.
1: That's really interesting because of you know the cover of your book, which is again sometimes you can judge a book by its cover because the the, the cover of this book is is excellent. Um, those listeners, when you when you look it up online, you'll see it's got a great picture of Lehman, and behind him, of course, is the crop duster. So it's you know like that's that's why the readers come into the book is oh yeah he wrote North by Northwest among other things.
0: Absolutely the. Uh- yeah.
1: Let's talk about Lehman as a writer. There's so many great quotations that I I underline in this book. Here's one of them. Someone asked Lehman if his other films had been easier to write than Sabrina, and he gave this reply. And I love this. This is a great thing for for writing students to hear everywhere. Quote, nothing's easy to write. Come on. A letter isn't easy to write. So I love that. Like, what was writing like for Lehman?
0: Uh, It was uh, pure agony like it is for most serious writers. The... um, and it's funny because, you know, for example, like uh, when I write an email, I write it, then I edit it, then I go over it again, and then I send it. And it's just an email, you know. The um, With uh, Lehman, um, he always had at least four drafts to his screenplays, and sometimes his drafts would have drafts. Um, so he was... Um, he was very meticulous. He was um, uh, almost, and he was a, per, even among perfectionists, he was a perfectionist. You know, the, um, there's this one great story on his first movie, uh, Executive Suite. It was produced by John Hausman, uh, directed by uh, Robert Wise. And uh, so one, and, and uh, Houseman loved Lehman's script. And so one day the the three of them are together and, uh, yeah, Hausman says to, to wise, look, I want to, uh, read you this one great scene that that Lehman wrote. And Lehman said, Oh, don't bother. I'm already rewriting it. And Hausman said to him, you are like a barbarian going at the hope diamond with an ax, get out of here, you know? And, uh, Just one other anecdote in that regard is uh, in uh, the late 80s and early 90s, really after his screenwriting career, uh, Lehman um, wrote uh, or co-wrote several uh, Oscar shows, and uh, at least several of them were produced by uh, Sam Goldwyn Jr., and uh, I I didn't get to to speak with him. He, He had already died. But I interviewed uh, Goldman's widow, uh, Peggy, and she said to me, um, a few years after the last uh, Oscar show that they did together, they were all at a party. And uh, Sam Goldman said, Lehman got me in a corner and he was still rewriting the show. And this was years after they had done their last show together. So he, he was just... Um, he was just, like I said, a perfectionist among perfectionists.
1: Yeah, that sense of him in, in agony comes through. And so it reminded me at one point, uh, there's a famous line where somebody asked um, Cole Porter, what inspires you? And he said, a call from a producer. And he, and he made it sound like that's just your day job. And Ernest Lehman, he had a lot of calls from producers, but he didn't make it seem like it was fun like, uh, like Cole Porter did. No, absolutely not. So another thing I thought of reading your book was um, th- there's a 2002 film adaptation. I don't know if you've ever seen this written by Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, um, I, I, I yeah, did see it years ago. I, I don't
0: remember it too well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well it's got it's funny because it's about this writer played by Nicolas Cage, struggling to adapt. It's it's kind of like both based on a true story, but it's fantastic at the same time. He's trying to adapt this really unadaptable, uncinematic book by Susan Orlean, the orchid thief, which is a real book. And I kept thinking of that movie when I was reading your book, because Nicolas Cage is in agony, he has no idea how to adapt it. And this book is very much about the challenge of doing that. And, and that, uh, you know, Lehman wrote North by Northwest, but he was also a great adapter. You know, he did these four musicals. He did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. He did um, the novel by Victor Canning for Family Plot. So were you able to get a sense of, the, of what his like, um, like maybe his method or his formula was for writing a successful adaptation?
0: Yes. In, in a general way, I would say, yes, uh, it's a, uh, it was really a, a, a multi-part process Um, the first thing to bear in mind, Lehman was part artist and part businessman. And um, before he would accept an assignment, he would think long and hard about, you know, whether the project would justify all the millions of dollars that a studio was going to invest. And, And, of course, studios really appreciated that about him. So that was the first thing he would do. Then he would read the, the novel or attend the play uh, several times, and, and just get a sense of, you know, do I like this? Can I do it? Is it adaptable? Uh, thirdly, he would uh, travel to the locations where where he thought the film should be shot. And so, for example, on uh, the Sound of Music, uh, he went to you know Salzburg in Austria. On uh, West Side Story, uh, he and Robert Wise went to you know what was then some of the the gang turf on the West Side Story, and uh, th- there's this great anecdote which uh, I have in the book where um, Lehman was again just doing so much research and taking them to so many places that finally Robert Wise said to him, "You know, we are not doing a doctorate on juvenile delinquency. We're doing a movie." We have a lot of good stuff. Let's get going. You know, the um, also on uh, somebody up there likes me. The uh, the biopic of Rocky Graziano, which uh, which made uh, Paul Newman a star. Uh, again, um, Lehman you know went back to New York. Uh, he uh, not only went to the a lot of the places that that were associated with Graziano, but he interviewed him and his wife and people who knew him, um, and MGM was opposed to, to Lehman, uh, you know, taking this trip. They said, "Oh, that's just a waste of money." But in fact, it uh, Lehman learned all these biographical details, which really made it such a a better film. And um, uh, fourthly. Um, Lehman, like I said, he would he would do multiple versions of uh, uh, of every screenplay, but he would uh, he would rework the source material to really make it a better Hollywood film. And again, uh, Robert Wise had this quote: he said that Lehman's screenplays were so good that it caused people to remember the original source material as better than it actually was you know and so for example um sticking with somebody up there likes me um let's look at some of the stuff that Lehman cut out from from uh from Graziano's memoir uh one thing uh Graziano writes about was and he was a very serious juvenile delinquent it, 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 it it's amazing he actually became a a successful grown-up mature adult, you know. But um, he talks about him and his friends digging up the grave of Peter Stuyvesant, one of the um, um, uh, Dutch governors of New York. I guess there was a rumor that there was some valuable stuff uh, buried with him. They dug up his grave. Yeah, that's that's so gross. And so, you know, Lehman throws that out. Um the, uh, an, another thing is, um, still in his juvenile delinquent phase, um, uh, Graziano was, um, at one point, uh, the, uh, the judge that he went before the, uh, uh was, uh, Lou Gehrig after his pride of the Yankee phase when, when, you know, he had, because of his, uh, uh, ALS, you know, he had to, uh, He had to quit uh, baseball, but, uh, so he was working as a juvenile court judge. And at one point, uh, Graziano came before him and, you know, Gehrig looked at the facts of the case and said, okay, I'm sentencing, sentencing you back to juvenile hall. And the young Graziano goes, go to hell, Mr. Gehrig. And so again, uh, Lehman didn't include that. Wow. Um, and, you know, but... Uh, There's, no
1: way that would be cut. There's no way that would be cut today. That scene would be in there today, absolutely.
0: Well, the, the thing yeah. is, but it... Uh, we even rightly figured that it would uh, make him just a very unsympathetic figure, you know. And uh, finally, the uh, conclusion of the film is Graziano defeats Tony Zale in this brutal, bloody title match. And so then you have the um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 uh, the you know with um, uh, Graziano and his wife. There's the um, they, they have a um, a they ride in the limousine in, in the parade and all that. While Lehman thoughtfully edits out is in the rematch with Zale, uh, Zale knocked Graziano out. So um, he, he really, he knew how to organize the material to make it a good Hollywood film.
1: Yeah. And you talk about, that's funny how he organized, like, you know, Rocky Rocky Graziano's life, but also how much he toyed with the order of songs in the musicals and and rewrote certain things. And I just love, you know, I I was, I was reminded of one of your two epigraphs for the book is by Helen M. Strauss. And it says, quote, every screenplay is an original screenplay for all practical purposes. And to transpose beloved works without bruises is a harder task than it seems. So it's not just a matter of like, just now I'll just type the musical onto a a new piece of paper and and we'll roll.
0: No. And it's really um, uh, kind of sad and ironic is that on West Side Story, uh, and I think that's especially what um, Robert Wise had in mind when he talked about Lehman improving the source material. Uh, Lehman moved a number of the songs around uh, he uh, had uh, Stephen Sondheim rework the lyrics uh, for "America," which to me is such a wonderful song. Uh, Lehman moved the location to a um, to a rooftop because uh, he, when he interviewed a um, sort of a probation officer for for juvies, he said that's the only place that that young kids can go in the ghetto to really to get away from things. So Lehman, he he invented new characters for the film. At the same time, he said he wanted to do it in such a way that it would seem as though only the ashtrays had been moved. And sadly, ironically, that's what happened because one, uh, afterwards, another screenwriter came up to Lehman and said, Great typing, Ernie, you know. And, um, but the other part, and this is even worse, is uh, West Side Story was nominated for 11 Oscars. It won 10. The only exception is Lehman's screenplay. Um, So again, Obviously, the the Academy voters thought he just moved the uh, the ashtrays around.
1: Yeah, and none of those ten, as you mentioned in the book, mentioned him in their acceptance speeches.
0: Oh, right, and that 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 really, <laughs> that, that just broke his heart. You know, it's sort of like a he didn't win, and b he wasn't even acknowledged obliquely, and that,
1: that upset him to no end yeah well the part you know one theme of your book even if somebody read this and hadn't seen any of the films or had no idea who Ernest Lehman was and never saw West Side Story etc you know I think a reader could come to this book and say it's about like one of the themes is respect for screenwriters right because I-, I got the sense that you know he was often Lehman was often irritated as you must have been when you wrote that letter about Cuckoo's Nest you know by these ideas that that screenwriters are kind of like the Roddy Dangerfields of a movie production like the devil's I mean the de- the director's very, really flashy and we all know who the leading actors are and you have these producers you know the image of the producer with the big cigar so there's all these great stories where, where Lehman tries to you know up the respect level for screenwriters like there's that great bit and I, I didn't know any of these stories till I read your book they were so wonderful there's a part where he's standing watching Hitchcock shoot north by northwest and someone says why are you watching Hitchcock shoot his picture and Lehman says he's not shooting his picture he's shooting my picture right and then he gets the reviews for North By Northwest and he's like, they're all Hitchcock all the time. And then later in the book, you uh, you come right out and you say this. This is a quotation I want to get your reaction to. You say this regarding the finished cut of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And this is you, quote, the attempted erasure of Lehman's major contributions to the film by Edward Albee and Mike Nichols is deplorable.
0: Yeah, it really was. And what's so... Uh Annoying is that, you know, both Nichols and Albie are great artists in their own right, but they, they have to they have to build themselves up further by, by reigning on the Lehman's Parade. And what, uh, what Lehman did to make uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf the successful film that it is Again, his contributions are extensive, but uh, both um, uh, Nichols and Alby, you know, uh, being the the egomaniacs that they, they were, you know, ha- had to say no. It was all us, you know, and I, that just really offended the hell out of me.
1: Yeah, and also it's funny because a lot, you know, the old cliche is oh the book's better than the movie, which is not always tr- certainly not true with Hitchcock's career, right? But I, you know, I've read. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And I've actually seen, you know, good actors equity productions of it after the film. And it's, it's never as good as the film. Like there's the the film was, I think, a marked improvement on the play.
0: Well, you're, uh, you're, you're not the only uh, person to say that. Uh, uh, Several of the reviewers um, uh, pointed that out as well. And, you know, one thing Lehman said, for example, is that uh, because Albie is such a, a gifted writer Sometimes his the speeches would go on, in a way that you can get away with in the theater, but you could not get away with uh, in the movie theater, you know. And so um, again, uh, Lehman um, added a number of locations, including you know the roadhouse scene, to open it up. And funnily, uh, is that a word anyway? Uh, he got into uh an argument with um uh, Elizabeth Taylor, where uh, I guess you know she was trying to be the the serious intellectual and she goes, Oh, the um you know that 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 roadhouse scene is um, you know you, you know you 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 just add that to make it more more cinematic. And and Lehman said, Oh, and uh well uh, that's a very intellectual thing to say. And then you know, it says, oh, when I'm glad you think I'm an intellectual. So they, they, they were really mixing it up over that. But, um, but L- 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 Lehman vale had, uh, you know, other locations, uh, uh, both outside and inside the house, to, to avoid making it just, you know, the, um, the play is just purely in the living room. And Lehman knew, you know, you couldn't do that.
1: Yeah, you couldn't uh, unless you're going to make rope again or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> so let's we talked about Mike Nichols. Let's let's talk about different directors because one of the strengths of your book, one of the many strengths, is that the reader gets a sense of Lehman's relationships with different directors. So I want to I want to kind of throw some out at you and, and run through them, and if you could talk about his relationship with these different people because they're all famous big time directors, um, we'll, we'll hear what you have to say about them. So let's start with let's start with Billy Wilder, with whom <laughs> he did Sabrina in 1954.
0: Well that was an extremely difficult experience uh, for Lehman because Wilder uh, at least on Sabrina uh, was just he was really improvising they were um they they were shooting the film just barely one day ahead of the screenwriting and Lehman is kind of a high strung person. He likes to do things way in advance multiple times and uh you know he he basically actually had a nervous collapse on that film the um but he also had a hard time uh with uh, Wilder because um oh I, I think Wilder is just the sort of person who really likes to uh, like to sort of egg and poke people and for example, um when he learned that Lehman didn't like caviar, he was like, oh my god what's what's wrong with you? What's the matter?" And uh, they were both sports fans, but so uh, Wilder asked him, who do you, you know, which team do you follow? Lehman said, the Yankees. The Yankees, only an underdog like you would follow an overdog like the Yankees, you know, the, um, and also um, uh, Wilder gave Lehman a hard time because Wilder wanted to have a sex scene between Humphrey Bogart and Audrey Hepburn. And Lehman says, no, this is a fairy tale. You don't have sex scenes in a fairy tale. And uh, uh, Wilder, who, like Lehman, is Jewish, goes, oh, you're just a Jewish prude, you know. And uh, So, um, like I said, you know, because it was such a, uh, a, a difficult experience for Lehman uh, working with Wilder, at one point he actually did have a nervous collapse. His doctor ordered him home to bed rest. But Wilder being Wilder, snuck into his house and kept working with him. And then one day while Wilder is there, Lehman's doctor shows up. And so uh, Wilder hides in the closet. And apparently uh, Lehman's doctor was no dummy. And so he uh, had his uh, session with Lehman. And then as he was leaving, he yells in a stage voice, You can come out from hiding now, Mr. Wilder.
1: (laughs) It was so funny to read all that stuff about Sabrina because I didn't know any of it. So of course in my mind, Sabrina is this very light, like you said, fairy tale. And then you read about the making of it and it's like apocalypse now or something.
0: It it, it was a brutal experience. Brutal. And and, and also of course, um, uh, Humphrey Bogart um, was a man out on that, you know, Billy Wilder would hang out with William Holden and Audrey Hepburn and Lehman. And so, um, so, um, uh, so Bogart got very grouchy. And at one point he just yelled at Lehman, you know, get this city college writer out of here. And then Wilder said, okay, I'm shutting down production until Bogart apologizes to, to Lehman.
1: Yeah. Crazy. The tension was unbelievable. So, well, let's go to a nicer relationship. So he moves, he moves then, Lehman moves to Hitchcock and North by Northwest. And then later on, they make Hitchcock's final film together, Family Plot. So what was Lehman's relationship like with Hitchcock?
0: That was a, that was more of a mixed bag on, um, on, uh, North by Northwest. They, they, they got along very well, which is surprising when you consider that they're both control freaks, you know, and, um, but, but, but they did get along. Well, the one exception though, being when they were, uh, rehearsing the, um, the crop duster scene in, uh, Hitchcock's living room in, in Bel Air. And, uh, apparently Lehman was making so many suggestions that Hitchcock, who never raised his voice Yelled at him, Why do you insist on telling me how to direct my film? And Lehman later said, Well, I should have replied, Why do you insist on telling me how to write it? You know, so, um, right. now on um, a Family Pot, which was Le- uh, not Lehman's, which was, uh, Hitchcock's last film, that was tougher because, you know, Hitchcock was in very poor health. Um, whereas Lehman was, you know, he was, let's face it. He was a pretty anal guy and he was like, let's get on with it. Let's do things. And, and of course, uh, Hitchcock wasn't always able to, you know, Yeah. and, uh, it's a
1: very sympathetic portrait you give of, of Hitchcock at the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yes. So, uh, basically, um, the, um, so, so that, that, that was kind of a tougher one. And, uh, but, but somehow they, they did get through it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love the stories about North by Northwest. They, they, they actually were, they made me laugh with Lehman when you can imagine Hitchcock saying, okay, we're going to go down, we, you know, we're going to go down Lincoln's nose. We're going to be on Mount Rushmore, make it happen. And Lehman's like, um, okay. Uh, all right, sure.
0: <laughs> right. No, it, uh, well, again, the, the real challenge for Lehman, um, uh, north by northwest was that uh hitchcock as as directors tend to do you know they they think in terms of scenes and it was actually my my mentor uh the author tom stemple who who pointed this out to me you know um directors think in terms of scenes so uh hitchcock would come up with all these scenes and then lehman had to cobble them together into a plot and it's really funny because like Years later, when um, uh, Lehman was doing a seminar at the University of Texas, and he, he said to them, why on earth would somebody try to escape by running down, you know, uh, Mount Rushmore? You know, he, 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 he thought it was kind of a, a, a risible thing. But, you know, Hitchcock came up with the idea and it was his job to, to make it work.
1: Right, it's like the the least inefficient way you could probably kill somebody is to run them over with a crop duster, (laughs) you know, know, where there's no crops. But uh, that's why. And and
0: by the way, by the way, on that scene, Hitchcock wanted Cary Grant to be menaced by a tornado. Right. And Lehman said to him, Hitchcock, no matter how evil uh, the Cold War adversaries are. They can't conjure up a uh, a, um, a uh, tornado on demand. So the crop duster w- was Lehman's idea.
1: Yeah, it's the next best thing. And it's so funny for what we talked about with adaptations is that what you just said about... Lehman having to put scene by scene together is that North by Northwest is regarded as I think rightly so is one of the great, great screenplays but it's a, like a pure movie like you can't imagine reading the novel of North by Northwest it's a, it's a pure cinematic experience and and I love what you said about putting the scenes together because you could see how Lehman had to put things in the plot like, uh, you know what does James Mason want? Well, government secrets that's, it's government secrets that's the MacGuffin and it's funny how like it's such a cinematic experience as opposed to an adaptation of something else Absolutely yeah. So let's move on. So we talked about Robert Wise before. He directed four of Lehman's screenplays, right? Executive Suite, Somebody Up There Likes Me, and uh, West Side Story and the Sound of Music. You know, you talked a little about, about him being one of Lehman's favorites. Why did they get along so well?
0: The um, the number one reason is from an, uh, an, anecdote, an anecdote that uh, Lehman told where he said, if I'm doing a screenplay for Robert Wise, I have to be careful to do a good job because I know he's going to film it exactly the way that I wrote it. And so, so that but that's what as a screener, what he loved about him, that, uh, that wise didn't think, oh, I'm this creative director who's going to, um, you know play paper dolls with the screenplay. So he, he just revered uh, Wise for that. Uh, Another thing that I think he really liked, although he never said so as such, is that uh, Lehman, like I said, was a pretty high-strung guy, whereas uh, Wise was very mellow, hang-loose, and unruffled. And so they made a good team that way. And as a matter of fact, um, Wise had a... uh, about Lehman's personality where he said he is meticulous in the extreme which again is a nice way of saying he's an anal retentive you know Um, but uh, they just um, uh, they they got along very well as a matter of fact they were going to do a fifth film in uh, the 1980s Uh, there was going to be a, a remake of uh, Zorba the Greek, with uh, with Anthony Quinn and John Travolta as as, as the, the the young protege, but the, um, the unfortunately the studio canon fell apart. But um, and they were also friends, Lehman and, and wife They they and a couple of other uh, you know, Hollywood people. They would uh, uh, like every year or so they would kind of go to a um, sort of one of these tiki uh, restaurants on the West side and, and just have lunch and stuff like that. But no, he, he just revered wise.
1: Yeah, that's great. You get a sense of their camaraderie. So after that, he goes from this, you know, pretty successful collegial relationship, you know, with other directors to to Mike Nichols. And oh. we mentioned Mike Nichols before. His ego comes comes out very strong in your chapter of Virginia Woolf, which I thought was a like that was almost like a standalone tour de force because I thought I knew a lot about the making of that film, and then I read your book, so I was happy to learn so much. You talked about the tension with there, but one of the things that occurred to me is that the making of that, the making of Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, was almost like, in ways, the, the actual story and what happens with George and Martha in Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. And there's all this tension, but one image I just want to get your reaction to that I love so much is you have this image for the reader of Lehman and Richard Burton. They hit it off and one they're playing ping pong. I just love that image of those two playing ping pong. So can you talk about like Lehman trying to produce this film and try to keep everybody, it seemed like it, it was hurting, not just cats, but like feral cats.
0: <laughs> that, that's an excellent uh, way of putting it. Uh, believe me. the um, Well, basically, um, you yeah, know, let's start with Richard Burton because that was kind of the high point of the film uh, for Lehman Um when they went on, uh, on location to uh, Smith College in uh, Massachusetts. And one day, it was like an off day, so they, they were just having a uh, cast and crew party. And yeah, Lehman was, was playing ping pong uh, with, uh, with Burton. And he said, Burton is just as good a ping pong player uh, as he is an actor. He got off some fantastic shots. But the sport, of course, that uh, Lehman and Burton really bonded over was uh, baseball. Um, Richard Burton was the rare Welshman who was a fan of American baseball. He would carry around a transistor radio to keep up with the Dodgers. Uh, Lehman was impressed with the fact that he not only knew who Ty Cobb was, but had seen him play in an old-timers game game. at, uh, at Yankee Stadium. But uh, again, as you say, feral cats is such a perfect uh, analogy, Dan. The, um, and especially the, um, uh, Mike Nichols, there's really no, no, other, no other way to put it. He was just sort of like a bully. He really bullied Lehman. Yeah. And I was really angry at uh, Nichols, but I was angry at Lehman too, because it, this was uh, Nichols' first film. He was only doing about his third play on Broadway right then. Lehman was well-established in Hollywood, and uh, the fact that he failed to put his, his foot down is it, it, just a real uh, character shortcoming uh, of, of his. But um, again, to me, the quote that really sums it all up, I, uh, you know, I did get to speak with George Siegel, and he said... Look, there was a lot of tension on the set, but the movie is about bad interpersonal interpersonal relations. So that kind of, in a sense, that kind of
1: helped the film. (laughs) Everybody became a method actor.
0: In a sense, (laughs) yes.
1: (laughs) There's that great line in your book, too. I love this made me laugh out loud as you go through all the tension with that. And you just quote somebody on the lighting crew who says, you know, the next movie I'm doing, I'm doing like an Elvis picture.
0: Well, it's again, uh, this can be true of uh, great art in general, where it digs so deeply into the human condition and all all the things that that can make life the harrowing experience it sometimes is, that sometimes afterwards, yeah, you, you, you want to watch an, an Elvis film. You, you, you want to to do something that's uh, mediocre but reassuring.
1: Yeah, and it's funny from reading your book is that I would assume if someone said to me, you know, the set of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf was really, really tense. That, that would make sense because you, you watch it and you think to yourself, well, this doesn't look like it was a particularly fun movie to make. But I would assume that Sabrina was a lot of fun to make. You're with William Holden and Bogart Audrey Hepburn, and then of course you you go behind the scenes on that as well
0: no I, I again, yeah it's um and Lehman had a quote at some point to the to to the effect of what you're saying, which is that it's a it's a pleasant movie to watch, but it was not a pleasant movie to make or to live
1: right. Yeah, to live right, and Lehman carried this chip on his shoulder about Mike Nichols like for the rest of his life, right?
0: Absolutely. The um, uh, six or seven years later, when uh, he was uh, making Portnoy's complaint, his one bomb, um, and a um, oh, Lee Grant who was uh, plays Portnoy's mother. She said the first thing that Lehman said to him was nothing about portnoy. It was about, I hate Mike Nichols, and however long it takes, I'm going to get him. And then, um, like, 35 years later, uh, when, uh, you know, uh, Lehman's an old guy, uh, about 2000 or so, and he um, took his his journal, he... Uh, to uh, this uh, glossy magazine and they, you know, they excerpted a part, which in effect, you know, runs, you know, runs Nichols down. He was still, you know, he was still just, uh, just, uh, you know, fighting, fighting that fight. And by the way, it's my theory. I, I I've never seen this anywhere else, but um uh, Virginia Woolf is really a watershed in Lehman's career. Before that, he makes 11 films in 10 years. They're, they're critically and commercially esteemed. After that, he makes like four films in 13 years. Three of them are so-so. One of them is no good. And it's kind of my theory that he was so emotionally brutalized by uh, by Nichols on that experience, that it somehow broke something inside of him. Uh, I I I may be uh, I may be over extrapolating here, but I don't think so.
1: Well, he went from Nichols, who was uh, his own his own problems. Then he goes to Gene Kelly to make Hello, Dolly, and there's more bickering. This bickering is a little lighter in the book than the, the tension of uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, but all the bickering between Barbara Streisand and Walter Matthau. So can you talk about that? And you also have this great story where Gene Kelly tells Ernest Lehman, in in, 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 in a non-polite terms, why he shouldn't talk to his actors.
0: Right. The, uh, <laughs> well, to start with, uh, you know, Kelly versus Lehman, um, on uh, uh, Hello, Dolly, Lehman was both the screenwriter and the producer. So I guess he he felt he had a certain amount of, uh, uh, right to say so. Uh, Kelly, on the other hand, felt, well, I'm the, uh, director and you don't have any right to say so. And so one day he caught Lehman talking to one of the actors and making some suggestions. And if I remember this correctly, um, Kelly said to Lehman, if I catch you, uh, you know, giving acting tips to any of my actors again, I'll I'll bust you in the mouth, you know. But uh, Lehman was less preoccupied with with that than he was with the, it was really kind of a war uh, between Barbara Streisand and and, uh, Walter Matthau. And I had a really good interview with Richard Cobrit, who was the uncredited unit production manager on that film and he said you know i think more of the fault in in that fight was uh uh with uh with Mathau. you, know, you you'd you'd assume it would be uh, strizan but he said no he was kind of old world and i guess he didn't like co-starring with this young woman and so um but um but Matha was, and he, he was rough on Streisand, of course, you know, she knew how to give it back. But at one point he said to her, you know, I think this is the first movie I've been on where I'm better looking than the leading lady. And uh, so I'd, uh, she said, like, you know, go to hell or go blue. She called herself. him an
1: a-hole. Yeah, she called him an a-hole after that right. in front of everybody. And yeah. so
0: then they had to stop filming so they could take them off to the side so they could yell at each other. And also, Kobritz uh, told me this story where one day, this is when they were on location in uh, Garrison, which is in, uh, you know, the Hudson River Highlands in New York. And uh, Matthau's uh, ancient uh, old country mother was visiting them. And so Matho and his mother are walking down the street one way and Streisand's coming the other. And about when they pass uh matho's mother said to him her to streisand why are you so mean to my son you know so, uh, so she, she was getting it with both barrels
1: yeah he comes across as 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 walter like walter matho-esque off screen because you know you get the sense that he didn't like she was 25 he he didn't know what he was doing there necessarily and gene kelly had to keep his 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 his, his uh ship floating ahead absolutely so from there, he you mentioned his one bomb. Lehman Goes to His One Disaster, which is his adaptation, which he also directed, of Portnoy's Complaint. Now, that came out in 1972. And you mentioned in the book that this is a huge novel. Everyone knows the novel. Everyone knows Philip Roth. But this is such a low point in his career that you mentioned in the book that even now, Richard Benjamin, you know, who's, who's cast as the lead in the film, he wouldn't even talk to you about it. Right. So can and, you tell, yeah. tell the story about that film?
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. The – um. Yeah, with um, Richard Benjamin, I you know, I really did uh, pursue him, um, and to his cre- he was he was polite, but you know, I, I, as I mentioned in the book, I, I really got the impression that you know he would rather have a root canal without anesthesia than relive his experiences on Portnoy again. I I guess it was just such an embarrassment for him, as well as such an unpleasant uh, experience. Um, but, um, it, um, uh, part of the problem was, of course, that on that one, you know, Lehman had produced several films at this point. You know, he produced, uh, Dowie, Dolly. He produced, um, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And he thought, you know, I became the producer so I could have more control over the film. But then the director took control. I know what I'll do. I will be the producer director, writer. I will, uh, I, I will do everything. And unfortunately, um, to use a uh, vulgar admonition that uh, Robin Williams used one year at the, uh, the Academy Awards, the writer, producer, director is the only creature who can blow smoke up his own ass. In other words, there was nobody to tell him when he was going off the rails, you know. And so the question is, why could such a successful screenwriter as Lehman produce such a calamity? And, you know, part of it is, you know, you know what we just said about the triple hyphen hyphenate. Uh, also, Lehman's wife, Jackie, said uh, she thought that he just wanted to try and prove that he could do the impossible, and sometimes he could, uh, but this time he couldn't. And, and I, it's my theory also. Lehman was um, a and uh, just an, an, a non-practicing Jew, and I think that the film could have been made better either by an an observant Jew or a, as. Odd as this what may sound, I think even an anti-Semite could have made a better version of Portnoy than Lehman did, because at least an anti-Semite would have strong feelings about Judaism, was Lehman, I think, was just largely indifferent to it.
1: Yeah, it was such with with the literally with the world of of literature and theater at his fingertips. It struck me as such an odd choice that that's what he wanted to do. Like it was like it was like you wanted to make a film of a Thomas Pynchon novel or something. Like like Portnoy's Complaint is so uncinematic. Like nobody reads Portnoy's Complaint and says this would be a good movie. Right. It well I, I, again. It was <laughs> what uh, Lehman's wife Jackie
0: said. He wanted to prove he could do the impossible, but he couldn't. Right.
1: But he couldn't. But he couldn't, and it was so funny that you said Richard Benjamin wouldn't even say something like, "Yeah, you know, we did our best." It was it was it was the early '70s. We thought it would work. It was just like, nope. Like we're never opening that that vault of memories again.
0: Well, it's funny because I uh, did use a quote from the. Um, it was the film editor. The film editor. I, I didn't speak with him, but uh, I, I read his memoir, and uh, in his book, the film editor was was asked, uh, well, tell me about Portnoy, because he he worked on that film too. And he said, oh, I just can't. I just can't. You know, it's just this, 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 it's like this horror movie for for all these people.
1: (laughs) So, we've talked a lot about his his writing and his work with directors and I want I want to finish by talking about Lehman's personality because I knew nothing about his personality till I read your book and you're so good I think at portraying his his triumphs and his insecurities you're very sharp at that and throughout the book and you mentioned it at the beginning of this interview you mentioned his hobby of ham radio and that he would be up all night all day, all up all night trying to play with his ham radio and communicate with people physically far away from him. But at the same time, he seemed to have this problem communicating with people who are right in front of him and parts of his family. Like, is that accurate? Like, what do you make of the ham radio hobby?
0: That's, uh, that's very accurate. As a matter of fact, his, um, his good friend, the uh, screenwriter, um, Mel Shavelson, when he was doing women's uh, uh, eulogy at, at his memorial service, and he brought up the ham radio uh, hobby, which they both shared. And Shavelson said, there's something about the thrill of amateur radio that makes it increasingly enjoyable to talk to your friends the further they are away from you. And then he added, there may be a deeper meaning here, but let's not go into that. And um, the uh, Lehman would, um, this just astonished me, Lehman's uh, younger adult son, Alan, provided me with the um, Lehman's wife, Jackie, was just a noted Hollywood hostess. And she kept a journal of all the, the dinner parties she held. And I was looking through them. And at one of them, it was a small dinner party, about six or eight people, Lehman's and Jackie's closest friends. And she writes in the margin midway through Ernie leaves and goes up to talk on his ham radio. And I'm like, what the hell? So he just, um, uh, he was, um, it's like some people are less, com- the closer people are, the less comfortable that, 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 that you are with them. And he, I guess he, he was one of them
1: yeah, his personality. it was so funny. His personality reminded me so much of like the opposite of the antithesis of someone like John Houston.
0: the um well, it's um, c- certainly the opposite of of, of his uh, like his close friend David Brown, the producer, you know, uh, David Brown was like the the quintessence of the uh, the bon vivant and the extrovert. And, and yet they, they were uh, they were friends for, for 80 years, 80 years. They, yeah. they met when they were nine years old in Woodmere, Long Island, you know.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a great portrait of, of a real, you know, flesh and blood human being who, who produced some great, great movies and directed some great movies and, and directed one poor movie, but wrote a lot of great movies as well. So, So John, uh, it's been great talking to you today. I cannot urge your book upon people strongly enough. I think everybody should get a copy of it. I'm not just saying that because we're having this conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. The book, again, is called Ernest Lehman, The Sweet Smell of Success. It's a great, great read. It's just published. Thank you so much for the conversation, John.
0: Thank you so much, Dan. It's a pleasure to speak with you.